podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello and welcome, lovely listener, to the Anfield Index podcast, brought to you in partnership with LibertyShield.com, the perfect VPN companion for all your football viewing, where you can get 25% off everything using coupon code AIVPN. It is episode 265. I'm Trev Danny. I'm podcasting to you from my increasingly manicured field here in beautiful rural Ireland, and I'm joined, as always, by Carl Kopak, by Cam Branch, and by producer Guy Drinkle in the background. We have an eclectic mix of stuff for you today. We will talk some football because there are some football things to talk about. We won't get too heavy about anything because that's our job. We feel at the moment not to get too heavy about anything. It would be very easy, let's be honest, to get heavy. There's a lot of stuff going on around us every day. We all have stuff touching our lives in various ways. And even when it comes to the football, there's been some less than savory things Uh going on uh so we could go down those rabbit holes we're telling you now in advance we will not be doing that because we leave that to the days when you feel like having a bit of a rant or more to the point we leave that to twitter which is the home of all anger anguish angst and fear at the moment so get yourself on there if you fancy a little dose of that i know i'm avoiding it like the veritable plague so I was listening to a podcast they called No Agenda, in which uh, two uh, American uh, gents of a certain age basically deconstruct the news, and in doing so can give you a little bit of hope that everything's not quite as awful as it seems. Um, I enjoy it, and at the end, what they do is they get some of their subscribers to contribute little bits of musical uh, delights. Um, one guy did so today, and uh, I'm going to just play this little uh, ditty that he came up with. It's about a minute long or so, and you'll recognize it from the start in terms of the tune it's based on. Uh, and I'll end it abruptly um, when it's time to end it. Yeah, that's pretty much it, all right. Nice. Pretty much where we're at. 
little bit of Don Henley pastiche there to open the podcast from me. Carl, what have you got for us? Well, you know, at the end of every show, when uh, for the listeners who don't know this, the end of every show that the four of us, including uh, producer Guy, sit down and we go through what we've um, what we've been discussing over the week, and you know, what could we do better? What should what works better next week? And <laughs> I just got a bit sick of of Trev just saying, Carl, when are we gonna have? Just when are we gonna have the crow anecdote? And you're absolutely right, and I've not done enough to support the crow, the crow thing. Um, so I've got a bit of crow information for you. Tremendous. Can I, can um, I clarify one thing before we begin? Because I know, obviously I know, because it's the subject of all those um, after-show analysis meetings that we do, which go on for yeah. longer than the show itself. But others won't know what the crow thing is. Is it about an actual crow? It's about crows in general, but we're talking about the genus Corvid, the genus Corvid here. Ah, I see. Uh, astronomers will know that Corvus is a, uh, a constellation, which means the crow. Um, and, and it's this, basically. Um, you know, when a crow sees food, it lets out a cry. I did not know. When it does that, um, it can be on its own. It does that when it sees food, but if it's on its own. But that cry alerts all the, well, it brings the, the, the milkshake brings the things to the yard, so to speak. So all the other crows get involved as well. I, I jumped out of that anecdote because I completely forgot what I was talking about. Um, it, it, that brings um, all the other crows too. So why the hell does it make a crying noise when it could have all the food to itself? Because when all the crows arrived, it's got to fight them all for the food. There's been a discovery late, Trev, you'd be glad to know, that they reckon it's an involuntary cry by the crow. That it's got nothing to do. And to just give a demonstration of that, if I can lean on the, um, the style of workings of my colleague, Mr. Branch, um, it's very similar to, imagine the Palisades, if you will, in Birmingham. Um, Mr. Branch walks past the shop and he sees a pair of tartan chinos that mm. would go perfectly with his paisley kimono. Yes. <laughs> he, he's going to make a noise. You're going to make a noise, aren't you, Captain? Oh. You don't even know you've said it. Yeah, you don't even know you've said it, which is nuts ah. when you think about it. I've heard um, that noise. I've heard that noise. It's basically this low guttural kind of get in. It's almost sexual. Yeah, that's exactly yeah, yeah. what it is. Yeah, it's guttural, and they reckon that's what the crow does. It's something when it sees food, it literally cannot stop. It stops yelping out. So finally, I brought the crow news into the show for a week. It, it, um, I, I, I could lie. And say that I don't find that absolutely fascinating and try to be cool, but I actually do find it absolutely fascinating. It's good, isn't it? The, the only <laughs> other explanation is that maybe it's a, it brings it because it wants to, um, it wants to fight. Well, that's yeah. So it's either the most belligerent creature, uh, bellicose creature in the world, or it is just hampered by its own nature, which is even more fascinating. I love that idea. Yeah, that's great. That's great. Crows, who'd have thunk it? I can't wait for next week. Oh, oh man. Crow news is just, it's, we're going to go nuts with crow news. Tune in next week. This is fantastic <laughs> stuff. Uh, Cam, I know. Uh, the, Finally, you can stop bullying me now about the crow stuff. I know. Sorry, pal. But, you know, people wanted to know that. But you, you, you can see the reaction is going to be amazing. Uh, the the branch well of inspirational quotes has finally run dry so cam is going to give us uh something else 
we are now going to be treated to the comedy stylings, like 70s workman's club stylings of Mr. Cam Branch. Off he goes. Dad, I was just listening to the radio on my way into town. Apparently an actress just killed herself. Mum. Oh, my. Who? Dad. Uh, I can't remember. I think her name was Reese something. Mum. Witherspoon. Dad. No. It was with a knife. Oh, God, he's here all week. Oh, he's here all week. Honestly, that is the worst. You said it was a da- you said it was a dad joke. <laughs> no, no one's dad would ever do that. Oh, guy Drinkle has gotten his coat. You're supposed to get your coat. Guy's gotten his coat. He's abandoned us for the UP lads. He's rather listen to some stats lads talking about stats than your jokes. I want you to understand what this means. Holy shit. Speaking of jokes, I've just heard a podcast with an interview with the the great, great, great Barry Cryer. And um, he was talking about the moment when you you tell a joke and it's obvious what the punchline is. And it's great when when the audience gets a second there beforehand. But the punchline itself is is so beautiful that it makes the joke even gives it like a second, um, like a second laugh as it were. So this is an obvious joke, right? So man goes to the doctor. And he says, um, he says, you've got to help me, doctor. And he says, what, what's wrong? He said, I said, I just keep getting these headaches all the time. And there's nothing I can do. These headaches are killing me. And he said, okay, well, um, tell you what, um, I used to get headaches as well. But what I would do, and I, I'd like to excuse if there's any younger listeners comments at this point. Um, but what I'd do is I'd put my head between my wife's breasts. And I said, did that work? He said, I, I haven't had a headache since. It's, it's amazing. And he said, uh, okay, so... Um, Leaves it a few weeks, and the doctor's out in the high street one day, and he sees the same bloke, and he says, um, "He says, oh, you're the bloke with the headaches. You still getting the headaches?" He says, "No, no, completely disappeared." And he said, um, "He said, oh, what did you do then?" He, he said, uh, "He said, well, you said that you should put my head between your wife's breasts." I went, "That's right, yeah." And he said, "Haven't oh, you got a lovely home?" <laughs> That's a killer punchline. That's a brilliant punchline because the joke is so obvious, but that punchline is beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you got a lovely home. Can I give you another quick one? Then? This is what I just saw on, online earlier. There was, an English, there was an Englishman, Irishman, Scotsman, and a Welshman. Oh, Christ. Went, so, uh, you, weren't, you weren't happy with offending people. Trust me, there's no, no offense in this. Not one little bit. Not one little bit. Let's head for the racism bit now. <laughs> you, you don't know me that well, surely. Um, there was an Englishman, <laughs> Irishman, Scotchman, Welshman, and they went to the pub. Those were the days, eh? Yeah. Hey. Uh, <laughs> did, you ever, did you ever see the, uh, the the character Bernard Wrighton played by John Thompson? Bernard. Bernard Wrighton. No. So it's basically, it's, it's like a Bernard, it's basically it's Bernard Manor, but he's been on a fact-finding mission to Cuba, and he's come back all right on. Okay, okay. He's <laughs> woke, woke Bernard Manning. Yeah, and, and, and the jokes are fantastic as well, because it's, um, it's all stuff like, um, uh, um, uh, there's, there's this 
Asian lads, this African lad, and this white lad in a pub. Oh, here we go. What, what a fine example of a multiracial society, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, it's things like that. Hey, yeah. <laughs> Fantastic. Uh, I'm gonna look that up because that could be uh, that could be diverting. I actually heard, uh, seeing as you've all had a go, I heard a good one today. Uh, I was doing the rounds, and it was uh, an Irish couple. I would call them Mick and Mary. And uh, Mick and Mary get married, and, uh, you know, they're happy enough. But after a couple of years together, Mary's never had an orgasm. Sorry, kids, by the way, if you're listening. Um, so they decide to go to the doctor, and uh, Mick and Mary are sitting down, and the doctor says... So what seems to be the problem? And um, Mary says, well, you know, I can't seem to. And Mick says, she can't seem to, you know. And the doctor says, oh, I see, I see. And maybe she's, uh, have you ever considered that perhaps Mary's overheating uh, and therefore can't possibly uh, reach the point of orgasm? And uh, they said, they looked at each other and said, oh, Jesus Christ, that's got to be worth a go. So they head back home, Mick pulls in at the local uh, hardware store, buys a absolutely massive fan, cooler fan, sticks it at the bottom of the bed. So they go at it and crank the fan up. No joy. No joy whatsoever. Now, Johnny, the neighbor, happens to be passing at the time, looks in the window, sees the crank on fan, wonders what all the noise is about. And he knocks on the window and Mick says, listen, Johnny, we come in here for a minute. Uh, and, you know, he says, will you just aim the fan here? Because we're trying and trying and it's not working. So Johnny aims the fan in the direction, a few different directions. No, no joy, no joy whatsoever. So Mary says, look, maybe if you work the fan, Mick, and let Johnny have a go, we'll see what happens. So lo and behold, Johnny gets up on the job and works away. And Mary has had the time of her life, multiple orgasms. She has to tell Johnny to get off. She doesn't know what she's doing. She can't know what day it is. She's gone cross-eyed. Mick walks up to Johnny, rolls the shoulders, Carl Kopak style, and says, that's the way you fucking work a fan. <laughs> <laughs> It's just for yourselves. <laughs> so, <laughs> welcome everyone. <laughs> uh, football stories to talk about. Um, we promised we wouldn't get too heavy, so we're not going to. But we did have the whole furlough thing the week, and it it aroused quite a lot of uh, um, strong feelings. Uh, some. Predictable ones, some not so predictable ones, some very interesting perspectives that I hadn't initially thought of. Uh, they didn't immediately pop into my mind and therefore made the thing a little bit more nuanced than I initially thought. Um, but we have a situation here now where our new reality is that having decided to go with the governmental furlough scheme, Liverpool are now, uh, Liverpool Football Club owners have now decided that, um, they're not going to. And it would appear to be another example of them changing their minds when having been lobbied by fan pressure or fan opinion. And the statement from uh, Peter Moore seems to very much go along those lines. Now, I've got to say, the only thing I want to chat about here is this new reality, not the things that led up to it, because that's been done to death and it's massively 
emotive um, and there are good reasons why. But in this new reality, where we've seen now a few times uh, the club ownership uh, bend to the will of the fans, uh, there's only so much joy to be gotten, I think, out of continually saying, yeah, well, it shouldn't have happened in the first place. Just that there's only so much pleasure to be gained from saying, well, they've done the right thing now. It's mess would be my take on it. That should never have happened would be my take on it. But there are nuances here. And I, I'm speaking as someone who knows somebody involved in the whole situation. Um, and perhaps they would have the most accurate take of all. And they would have a very perhaps surprising take in relation to the club's decision. Um, I'm wondering just now, um, Carl, we're, we're, where we are looking at this new thing where the club have changed their mind, done an about face again in the face of fan pressure, whether we should just now kind of, you know, shake our heads and move on. Well, it's the third time, isn't it? Simon Hughes um, did, did something for the Athletics today about this, and he's absolutely right. It's the third time it's happened. Uh, seven, the- seven tickets. We had the uh, that was the first one, wasn't it? And then um, what was seven pound tickets. Then we've had the trade Martin issue. Um, and uh, even, even go further back, we've had the um, refusing to leaflet the ground for the HIP investigation, and then they changed their mind the next day. Yeah. Um, which I think that might be more of a. I don't. I don't want to talk too much out of school on that, but uh, I think that FSJ were more misinformed than wrong about that. Um. But um, it's the third time it's happened. And I've got to the point now with it where I just think I don't. It's hard this because Peter Moore can't win with me. I've had a, I've had a public beef with him in the past as it is. And it's just I'm just sick to death of being of having the clubs throwing out these ludicrous um, community based. This means more. We're better than everybody else because we're different because we're Liverpool and we do this. And they do it really, really well. But ultimately, after three times, you start to think we're not different from anyone else. The only reason that you've not got away with the things that you've tried to do in the past is because you haven't been allowed to. Because if you had been allowed to, you would have done it like everybody else. Like, like, and I'm not having to go with Tottenham here because I know this is a dodgy situation. But like Tottenham have done it, and Tottenham have done the furloughing thing as well. Um, ludicrous, given the size of the organisation involved. And it just makes me think, what, what, what are they trying to be? Are they trying to be? Because if, if they're trying to be, look, we, we are one of you. And that works really, really well. European coverage, things like that. They do it really, really well. Or are you just trying to, can we get away with this? No, no, okay, no, we can't get away with that either. Okay, let's try this. Let's get away with this? No. And my patience is running thin with them now. It really is. And that's a difficult thing to say when, obviously, we're European champions, so things are going well. Mm. There's so much good, Carl. There's so much good that's yeah, getting done so much, yeah. by, by, by these same people. And like I said, there is, there's a level of nuance, and I'm, I'm unwilling, and I, I, and I, I, I bow to nobody on this. If you, if you want that kind of discussion, there's loads of podcasts for you for that. That's, that's, we could do it, and we could do it very well, and you know this. 
listeners and um 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 fellow podcasters who are who are listening to me now you know we could do this in depth we you know we could get into the nuance and there is nuance and there are things that need to be spoken about and in the fullness of time they will be but this is not the time for it i suppose what i'm saying is that these people have done so much so right but yes there does seem to be that empty sort of hollowy sound to some of it uh, in the face of a couple of initial decisions. I do take some solace, not the kind of solace that I've seen a lot of people take, not the kind of um, joy that I've seen a lot of people take in the fact that they did reverse the decision. I would say that that is a positive sign, um, but I do fully take on board what you're saying. Cam, let me get your take on it. Um, before we wrap this up, because I, I, I don't want to do a huge amount of depth on it, but I, I want I want you to represent your thoughts on it as well. Okay. Um, as a person who run, who runs a business, has run business for pretty much all his life, I can understand why FSG did what what they did. Ultimately, FSG is a, a group, an organization, a capitalist. They're not socialists. They, they've never pretended, I suppose they've tried to let the club pretend to be socialist in that respect, but they're not. They're capitalists. They, they make their money out of capitalism. Let's not try and, you know, paint this in any other, any, any other way. John Henry and his ilk are not worth $2 billion through socialism. That's through capitalism. That's, that's the only way they, they've got where they are today. Over the last 30 years, the reason we've been such a poorly run club is because we've not had the right owners. FSG have come in and they are the right owners for the club at this present moment in time. There's very few clubs in the world who can say they've got the right owners for the club. Now, FSG as a group make mistakes and they've made three, four mistakes, as has been pointed out, whether it's been deliberately done to test the lines or because of their naivety in what they're doing, or they've been badly advised in what they're doing. But the fact is that they're still taking on board what the fan pressure is coming back to them and saying, okay, yeah, we, we fucked up, we hold our hands up, we back down. Tell me another owner, ownership group, that would do that. Very, very few would, I think, because ultimately they don't care, a lot of these owners. So I can understand why FSU tried to do it. I, I get that. But what I will say is, right now, Liverpool Football Club, this is the best way I can put it, we shop in Harrods. It's as simple as that. We shop in Harrods. You don't get higher than Harrods. They can do all their shopping in Harrods. They don't need to go to the food bank. That, that's a big thing for me as well. I mean, Trev, you used the word hollow there. And that's the way I'm starting to look at FSG with, with all the this means more, let's do this, 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 we're all together, etc. It's hollow, because they try and get away with shit every now and then. And You're right, Cam, it, it is good that they come back and retract what they do and say, okay, we've got that wrong, fair enough, but I just can't help feeling that they're going to try and, you know, bomb me a bath occasionally and go and, and, and do that. I mean, the whole fellow issue itself is obviously, um, I just want to mention what Leanne Prescott said to me the other day, it's a really, really good analogy. It's like you've got a pot of gold and you're looking after these people, but your neighbour's got a pot of gold as well, so you'd rather use his pot of gold. Um, and that's, which I thought was when you say you know we, we shop at Harrods, um, 
whether you want to furlough people or you know do furlough jobs, you basically use taxpayers' money to fund something that you can already afford. And I know that there's this issue about you know we're rich but are we cash rich? I completely understand that as well. But it, it's a yet another betrayal sounds too harsh a word, but I'm happy. Do you know what it is, Trevor? I'm trying to come up with this. Do you know what? it's just a oh fuck off type feeling I've got with them. It's just another little oh, really. Do you remember the ticket thing? You tried that, and now you're doing this, and you know we've already had the Trey Martin thing as well. You're right, Cam. They're, they're venture capitalists, so I want them to be venture capitalists if that's what they want to be, and stand up and wave and say, "This is what we are. We're in it for the money." Then I can sort of live with that because we went through the years of the Moores family, went through Hicks and Gillette, and that's what they were basically doing. But obviously, with, with a lot more love from uh, from David Moores. Well, in fairness, in, fer- in fairness, Carl, they have shown those colours and they have in those decisions, the specific ones we're talking about, shown those colours, and then they have backed down on each of the occasions. So there is, again, like, it, you know, a sort of a hollow pleasure to be taken from that, a sort of a, a reluctant, yeah, okay, kind of feeling to have from it. And I get it. Um, I get where you come from completely. I just would just suggest one thing that in the bigger scheme of things nobody really knows what's going on here and they make hard-nosed decisions and a government is saying well we can look after it if you want and they're thinking well yeah and then you know there's the very real thing that there's a lot of people employed by that club and that at some point that will stop being an option to continue to pay them whereas with the government thing it would have been guaranteed so possibly possibly there is nuance but let's like i said not get into it i want to just run something past you by comparison because today we i read something where the burnley chairman a fella um with the interesting moniker of mike garlic uh warned that the club (laughs) honestly yeah yeah, yeah. He is warned that the club will go bust in August if the football lockdown has not ended by then. He said that uh, they stand to lose £50 million uh, in the, if the current season is cancelled and warned other Premier League clubs face losses at least as much as £100 million. Uh, Garlic said the situation is so dire that his club, which is one of the best-run clubs in top European flight, club. will be potless later this summer unless this pandemic has eased he said and here's a quote from um, from the brilliantly named mike garlic the fact of the matter is if we don't finish this season and there is a clear start date and, and there isn't a clear start date for next season we as a club will run out of money by august that is a fact now we talk about the deep pockets of our owners but let's just be real for a second and think well Burnley are playing in the same division. They may not be on the same level or anywhere near it in terms of the financial clout that the owners have. But we are talking here about economies of scale. And eventually, all of those economies of scale take a hit. One of my best friends is a well-to-do chap who's always had great paying jobs and has the house and the car and the lifestyle to reflect it. But now, he, like me, is facing a situation where if he doesn't get his paycheck, he's just as fucked as I am. So it's a it's economies of scale. And, you know, it, it's just to add a little bit of nuance to all of this and, and to introduce the topic of the necessity of this season finishing. Because yet again, we've had 
so many poison dwarves, so many mental midgets, so many horrible little politically motivated cretins coming out and trying to take their opportunity to say, bin it off, end the season, without any thought for the reality that seems to be the one that's being put to us, which is, listen, citizens, um, you may have to shelter, cower in place for a few months next year again, because this thing may come back. So what happens the next season if we can't plan for that? Why would you automatically assume anything in this current situation? The only logical thing to do at this moment in time is to finish this season. Yes, it's self-interest, but yes, it's also the logical option, isn't it, Cam? There is no other option. I mean, FIFA have actually apparently come out and said the season has to be finished. Yeah. So all all leagues have to finish their seasons. Um, You can't just... It keeps going back to one thing. We keep saying it. I think we've said it for three weeks running now. It comes back to one thing. It's a five-letter word, money. Everything comes back to money uh, in, in, in as to regards of what we're talking about here. But Burnley, aren't, like, like you said, aren't the only club. Bournemouth will be in a similar situation, yep. no doubt, because of uh, their stadium size, you know, the attendances that they get. They're, they're not getting um, three, four million pound every match day. They're not the most popular team on the TV like Burnley. So they're not getting larger uh, or they wouldn't have got larger um TV revenue money. Their, their wage bill will still be relatively high compared to their their turnover because Premier League players demand high wages. It, it, it is what it is because they see that pot of gold of nine billion from TV money, and and this is a wake up call for every industry that is connected to football now. That that, that there's there's got to be a big shake up going forward now. And this season has to finish. There's a, there's no two ways about it. Yes, you're right, uh, Trev. There is a lot of self-interest in that because we we want to be able to say that we genuinely got to the 82 points or 83 points, whatever it is we need to say we won the title. You know that 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 is self-interest. We don't want it. We don't want to be handed the title as a as a courtesy almost. Because we were more than likely to win it, we were more than likely to get the six points that we require now. We don't want that. We want to do it the right way because we've we've got that in us as well. So um, it, it's gonna it's this is gonna go on for months. So um, I'm telling you that now. I heard some news tonight regarding um, uh, coming out of British Airways apparently and Heathrow Airport, and they're talking months. They're not talking a month or two, they're talking months of nothing happening. This is the scary reality of it all. So how we finish the season, I don't know. Well, that that's the wider picture of things in terms of the months of uh, of of uh, prediction, predicted inactivity in terms of international travel. That's why the Champions League is a busted flush for perhaps two seasons. Certainly yeah. if this one's not happening, I can't see the next one happening. There are tentative talks about this idea of the behind closed doors, uh, World Cup camps type thing. It's being pushed quite heavily at the moment. And you said FIFA. I know the UEFA president, um, Alexander Seferin was quoted in an interview with, I think, some Slovenian 
uh, outlet, he said, I see no way for Liverpool to stay untitled. If the championship presumes, they will almost certainly win it. Theoretically, it has not reached the guaranteed level, but it's practically close. Uh, however, if it could not be played, it would also be necessary to announce the results in some way and find some key on how the champions could be determined. And of course, again, I do not see a scenario in which that would not be Liverpool. I understand that the fans would be disappointed if it happens in an empty stadium or even at a green table, but I believe they will win the title one way or another. Now, that's just his opinion. I suppose, in a way, he's speaking ex-cathedra there, but it, it, there does seem to be a push on to get the thing finished, and there will, I think, be some way in which that happens. And I don't know, Cam, if it's just as bleak as, you know, um, because, you know, there's talk about this difficulty of international travel. I think that's going to loom on. But there may be some way of getting this thing done um, from June onwards. Would you have any hope about that before I go back to Carl on this? I, I, I really do hope there is. Um, you know, the the idea of a playing behind closed doors was not ideal because football without fans is it's not football. Um, it just becomes a, a TV spectator sport. And football in an empty stadium is it's bland. You know, like you, superstars, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Superstars was good though, wasn't it? Like, and oh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'm watching yeah. it. Yeah. Well, 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 well yeah, that's that's an that's an interesting point that that you've both kind of come to there uh, via Cam and 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 your interjection, Carl. Is that honestly, I think about my own uh, happiness here, just from a personal point of view, and I think it then, as a reasonably self-contained man, who can pick up a book or listen to a podcast go for a walk, dig my garden, do some exercise of lots of different ways of distracting myself. Um, not everybody's that fortunate. And an awful lot of people rely on football almost exclusively as their outlet. So uh, for that reason and that reason only, I think it's pretty vital that it happens sooner rather than later. And honestly, in any format, if it's fucking five-a-side games, whatever it happens to be, let's get it done. Uh, whatever, and 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 if we're looking at next season, and next season has this looming threat of this COVID prick hanging around for another year until we get the glorious vaccination that we all have to line up for and gratefully accept. Until then, whatever, whatever next season has to look like, let's do it. I mean, I Carl would be very much of the mind of, you know, get this one finished. Let's make a contingency plan of, you know, even if it's only one round of fixtures and it takes as long as it takes uh we keep moving forward what what, what have you had any big picture thoughts on this i've had um, i've been talking to um uh, a friend of mine from the Anfield rap about this um i i thought about a 19 game he, he came up with a very elaborate thing um but i was thinking 19 games only yeah um, you play everyone once and if you don't get if you get united away Tough. You're not getting that's that exactly right. It's, it's the it's the um the 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 egg chasing formula. The the the, the yeah. six nations six yeah. nations. Tough. Yeah. Tough. You don't get you don't get them away. Um, and you know if you get them away, you don't get them at home. Simple as that. And um and if that happens, I'd like to tell the Manchester Evening News people that Liverpool will already have an advantage on that 
because that's going to be your headline. Liverpool get Bournemouth at home when City got, you know, that's going to happen. Um, because gobshites are gobshites. But uh, I think that was my idea about how to do that. But we can't really tell until we work out what's going on with this one. And I agree with Cam, this one will finish. Um, Neil Ackerton said in his email today that um, around the thing he does that he reckons July. Um, I think that's probably about right, to be honest. And if it ends with them playing Subutio in a locked room, where in, a, in an oxygen tank, then that's how they finish the league, then that's how they'll finish it. And, um, but yeah, that has to be finished first. And just to go back to the Fairlawn thing, um, just in case it don't sound like I'm, I'm being cruel or anything, Bournemouth putting their, putting their entire staff out on furlough, completely understand it, completely. My, my point about this is Liverpool Europe have been in the last two European Champions Leagues and we're not skint. I have another point that I want to bring up and it's about um, the... And, and, you know, we go in two-footed here quite often and let's not do that this evening let's just talk about this situation uh and how anything's better than those jokes though <laughs> wait till the end one you've not got another one have you? Uh, uh we 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 speak quite often and quite critically about a certain um uh element of society but i do want to talk about this idea that has been floated by a certain member of government whereby it was the most elaborate look over here look over here <laughs> Just a uh, bit, yeah. sort of uh, you know the distraction methodology i've ever seen in my life it was like yeah i know we've made a balls but look over here and of course all the sheep look over there and all the politically motivated look over there and all the rival fans look over there and start talking about it um and it's basically the idea that some football footballers should somehow be called upon to subsidize um the fa- failings of a of a, of a of a national government um again there is nuance for sure and i know jamie carragher was talking about when back in 07 the premier league players were asked to donate some wages to support nhs nurses and he said and this is you know we've we've spoken off mic about uh, quite candidly about uh, how depressing it is to think about how some of the lads who wear the red think he said uh, and this is a quote me and Stephen Gerrard uh, going to the dressing room with 20 odd players in there and some players refused to pay there were four or five in our dressing room I'm sure it was the same in dressing rooms up and down the country a lot of them were foreign players they couldn't understand what they were paying for um, uh, they were asking I, I've had that conversation with Jamie Carragher about something else. Uh, about this particular... Around, around that time, yeah. Right. So, I mean, now, and and, and, and I suppose that's a, it's a slightly different thing, but at the same time, you know, and, and that's looking at it from... J- Jamie there is saying, we all have to do our part. We've been asked yeah. to do our part. This is slightly different. This, like I said, was smoke and mirrors. Uh, this was political. It was political, but it was just it was just such such overt smoke and mirrors that I can't believe it was taken seriously. And then, of course, you know, you see the clown show that's happening across the ocean, and you see the clown show that's happening with you guys there in your parliament. And um, we shouldn't be surprised by anything, but 
I don't want to get all bleeding hard about why should the poor footballers be be uh, be be, be victimised, but I do think it's important to say that it really isn't their responsibility. And the good the good lads are good lads already, and they're already the likes of Naby and Sadio and all, lots of other guys, Milner. They donate money out to Wazoo. They're good people who who who. You guys rob with the. Um... Uh, loads of them who have a conscience and they they act they act accordingly they wouldn't need to be told to go and donate to the nhs it's a messy situation and i I find it i find it morally repugnant that that it was it was it was put forward in such a way it's not to defend these rich footballers who learn more in a week than i will in ever it's just you know let's have a bit of proper balance on this but i've termed this hancock's half then Sorry, Hancock's half ideas. That's exactly what it is. Yeah, yeah. Um, and the the reason it stinks more than anything else is because because footballers are always the easy option out. Always, they don't. They, you know, they, it's not a proper job. They earn hundreds of thousands of pounds in what a week or months or what have you, or anything like that. How come it's always the work? Then most footballers are working class lads. How come it's always up to them to foot the national bill, and it's never Matt Hancock's mates in the Lords or anything like that? Hedge fund guys. Yeah. The venture capitalists. How come it's always Harry Kane? How come it's always Jamie Vardy? How come it's never sort of like you know my my rich mate who bankrolled my Brexit campaign? People like that. And you're right. It's it's just it, it is luck over there, um, and it's just. Oh. Politi- politicians have never really liked football unless it's a camera opportunity. Never, ever. They've always been sort of slightly against it, and that, that's why. I mean, but to actually stand up and say, do you know what? Let's get them to pay it. You're the fucking government, mate. <laughs> it's you. You are the exchequer. Yeah, it's... It, it, the, the level of, of, of... It's just craven. It's just craven on every on every front, on every level, on every way you can think, and it it, it just bugged me to 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 no end. And I just I, I thought it was important to bring it up. And I I think we might be getting done with football unless either of you is a specific thing that you want to bring up. Uh, well done to the BBC for showing old games. Love that. Really like that. I believe I've missed this. So go ahead. What's this? I haven't seen, I haven't seen all of them, but they had, they've had the old FA Cup game, they had a Forest game on recently, they had West Germany, sorry, I think it was just Germany then, uh, Wales-Germany from 91, um, I think that would have been Germany, yeah. Um, we're just showing whole games, and I'm all about that, that's really, really good. Um, I've listened to the comedian um, Ellis James uh, this week, who, who, by the way, I, I nicked the crow idea from, so if anyone says he's nicked that, I, I will put my hands up to that. Um, in your latest edition of Crow News, and um, <laughs> he, he said, because he's got a kid, he said, if we get up at 5.30 in the morning, and the other day I, I watched Chelsea against Man United from 1972, and I watched the whole game on YouTube, and loved every minute of it, um, and I thought, that's quite sad, then I realised, I did pretty much the same with Leeds Chelsea the other day, <laughs> 1973, I think, I watched the other day. Yeah, I, have, I haven't gotten to that stage yet. Do you remember, you will remember this, both of you will remember this. I'll put it to you, Cam. Do you remember there used to be a, a show 
myself and my brother used to watch it when we were in our sort of teens. It was called Match of the 70s, and then there was Match of the 80s. That's what I've been watching. That's exactly what I've been watching. Oh, God, it's, yeah. it's just the most delightful thing ever. You get to watch big Cyril Regis going around with his calves and thighs, bamming goals in for 40 yards, and you get to watch all these class players. Do you remember this cam at all? Match of the 70s? Vaguely. They were, they were like, they were little, little compilation shows where you had highlights packages from several games. And Was it like it, Sunday afternoon? Oh, it God. was more of a Wednesday night type thing. Uh, it was a late oh. thing. We, I remember myself and the brother used to stay up late to watch it. It was definitely on late, um, probably a week. No, no, I wouldn't have been allowed. I, yeah. I remember something, you know, I remember they used to have the match on Sunday afternoon. That was like they, when they started doing live matches. And no, this Brian, is the 90s. Brian yeah, this was Brian Moore used to host it, didn't he? Was it Brian yeah. Moore? That was the big match. The big match. The big match, right. yeah. yeah. That's what I'm thinking of, sorry. Yeah, no, this is more of a, of a, of a highlights package. And uh, what, what, Tell me again, is this being shown on BBC? Is that what you said? No, they've been they've just doing actual full games. Okay, okay. So it's, wow. just, it's just wonderful to watch. It really is fantastic. Yeah. Um, I, I know a lot. All the matches of the 70s are on YouTube. A lot of people did the watched through of the Liverpool Newcastle four three. Yeah. Um, uh, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure it's the the Collie Moore winner one, um, and I think a lot of people got a great kick out of that. And again, the whole combined watch along thing. We're all discovering ways. I won't um, give these already uh, burgeoning companies who are making a mint off this fucked up situation uh the the uh air of publicity but everybody knows who we're talking about all these formats yeah. by which you can check in and have a glass of wine with your pal who's you know next door uh or do a quiz with your mates who are all over the world or watch a game or whatever it happens to be and listen i haven't gotten to that stage yet but i am like i said quite a self-contained unit but lads i'm missing people I am missing people. And I, I, you know, I'm a guy who stays in my own little space at work. I don't tend to mix with people during the day. Everyone takes the piss out of me for it. Like it's not, you know, um, I, I stay in my own lane and I, I don't, you know, I go to the gym and I don't talk to people in the gym. It's not a social thing for me. Uh, I'm pretty gregarious when I want to be. And I now want to be, and I have an opportunity. I am missing that, I have to say. I know a lot of people coming out with this joke about, oh, well, I've been practicing self social distancing for years or whatever. I'd be the ultimate example of that. I like my own company. I like my own time. I like my own peace and quiet. But, God, I miss people at this stage. I do. And I was saying to someone, like, I feel like going for a low a feed of pints, as we say here in Ireland. I don't even go for, I don't even go for, I don't even go for pints. I don't, you know, honestly, but it's just the idea of being in a place that's buzzing and alive. Uh, the sooner the better, I have to say. Uh, so they have Pottenegger? Not near me, no. If that's just honest. right, because you're, you're, you're in the sticks, aren't you? Yeah, not near me, no, no. The, the walk, that's probably about half an hour walk to one, and they're going to demolish that. So, yeah, no, it's 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 not really good. Quite fine getting there, not so good if you've had a few, and you want to get back <laughs> Not, not so... Can I just tell you a quick story about some of the walks home I've had when I was impossibly drunk, uh, walking home my back road? It is 
usually beautiful and the sky tends to be lovely and clear and you can do i know you'd appreciate this car a lot of stargazing and you can pick out constellations and it's gorgeous to watch and a couple of nights we came home and uh, like various like friends with me or whatever and we see shooting stars and stuff but one night i was coming home it's particularly dark one of those nights where there is no starlight nothing and of course i live in dairy farmland and it's a narrow road and the cattle are pretty much on top of you because they're in the paddocks right next to the road and there's this deep breathing and weird noises and rumbling noises as you're walking home. I had been, I got a bit freaked. I got into one of those states that is a rational fear. Um, it was probably a combination of a lot of, uh, sherbets and, uh, quite just, I, I, I've been reading a lot of freaky stuff. And I'm walking, I'm walking and I'm, tr- I'm about maybe 10 minutes from home. And at this stage, something goes boom on my left shoulder, heavy weight on my left shoulder. Lads, when I say I ran, Carl Lewis, <laughs> Carl Lewis texted me the next day and said, I need you to train me. I fucking bolted. I, it was, it was, it was, it was beautiful. I'd imagine to watch. I made it home in about three seconds. Uh, and I, to this day, I don't know what it was. I have theories that a, a branch broke off a tree above me and hit me on the shoulder, but fuck me, lads, did I ever run home? So yeah, I mean, look, that, but I miss people. I do have to say, uh, and whatever I would, I would encourage people to have a go off this zoom stuff. I'm going to try it myself at the weekend with a few lads and do it, do a bit. I just have a bit of chat and have a bit of crack and see, have, have either of you tried this group uh, online stuff? I've done, um, cause of my job, I've done, um, like a works quiz thing, which we're trying on at the moment, mm-hmm. uh, which might be a fundraising opportunity thing. Um, I'll talk about this later if you don't mind, Trev, because I've got an event coming up, which I'm going to plug at the end. No, that's course, a great uh, idea. And yeah. Of course, I, I hope everybody realizes if they're doing a works quiz that you are basically fast Eddie in the corner there, the pool shark who's going to fucking do them. Do they, they do realize this? I finished this, se- second twice. Oh, I'm shit. Serious. Second twice, both by a point. Man, and, I, and the first time was because I got on late and missed the first two questions. And here was me thinking the only time in your adult life you'd been you'd been actually uh, humbled was by quiz champion Trev Downey. Fuck, <laughs> fuck. <laughs> I just love the fact that this has passed into like legend now. When I did beat you, maybe once, but the other nine times, you know, the other nine times, <laughs> you were claiming draws as like you know boxing championships, and still the undefeated. Just because it was a draw. Go back, go back and listen to the shows, folks. You, you'll see. You'll see. Uh, okay, okay. Do you want to do this? Do you want to do this? Why was my question about Man City's <laughs> from the nineteen eighties, and you got who plays number nine for Liverpool? Cam, Cam, do you see how much it's hurt him? <laughs> oh, that's so good. Um, and yet you still claim they're fixed, don't you, Trev? Well, they're fixed when I don't win. <laughs> yeah. Isn't that funny, that? Uh, I had asked people on Twitter to respond. I said we were going to be going online and um, give, us your, give us your questions and we'll answer your questions. Well, just Problem. Quick one, just a quick one before you go, though. Go, 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 go. Um, 
folks, uh, if you're not on Discord, get on Discord. Uh, Gags has arranged. Um, we're doing a poker online, so uh, you can join us and play poker, and we're going to probably Skype video that in some way, shape, or form while we're playing. So um, that's the, that's the only thing I will be doing at the moment. I've not done anything as such yet. Do you join the Tandon games on a regular basis? Because I know he's no, quite, no, no, no. quite a card sharp, isn't he? Yeah, he is. He's, he plays with a lot of family and friends. Yeah. Um, but there's about 10 of them. Um, but they play, they play, they do get together and play, but I think they play online as well. So, um, but yeah, he usually clears up for two, three hundred quid a night. He's quite good, apparently. That's yeah. nice. That is nice. Yeah, yeah. I'll, so, I'll, 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 I'll tell you the one thing I am missing though, Trev. What's that, man? Barbers. I, I, I reckon I'm two weeks away from serious problems. I was I going did the boy the other day. I did quite a good job on him. I, I don't trust myself. No, I wouldn't do it myself, but I, I did the boys all right. Carl, um, you, you keep it comparatively tight, though, don't you? Yeah, I do. Yeah, I've had so, three weeks. So, could you not? Would you not consider just a buzz cut, a self-imposed buzz cut? Oh, I know, and there's a mate of mine who's um, who's doing a charity one for a she works. I've mentioned before, Pauline who works at uh, Wirral Ark. Mm. A charity. There's a, she calls it head head shearing. Got to got to give her some credit for that. Head shearing, yeah, brilliant. Head <laughs> very good. Um, and I'm I'm tempted to do it for that. Yeah, but but how far off uh, like at number four are you like on a on a regular basis? Do you do you, do you, do you like it to grow? I, I'm 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 a two at the back and a bit of a tease at the front. If so, you could do that yourself, easy. You can yeah, just like, you, you've got to get the line, though, haven't you? You got you got to sort of layer it. Okay, well then why not compromise and go three all over or something? Ah oh, man, I, I, listen. I, you're, you're speaking to a guy who's been who hasn't paid a barber for two decades, so I do know what I'm talking Absolutely about. Absolutely no comment there, Trev, if you don't mind, because I'm a gentleman. Why is that? Because you're not the most hissuit man, pate-wise, oh. in the world, shall we say? Well, I'm glad you put in pate-wise, because I am sort of famously hissuit. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, <exactly. laughs> Actually, famous. Famously, hair suit. I think is uh, <laughs> it's, it's a full hair suit. Um, we, know, we, we know, we know, you can flat your back. Everyone knows yeah. that. Yeah, I wasn't so much born as knitted. I think is how. It's <laughs> <laughs> uh, so there are a couple of things here that I want to get out of the way. We, uh, I put out the question, and uh, I got one statement. Uh, you know, ask us your problems. I, I got one statement from. From Mahaki one saying Carl fucking Baskin. That's a whole other pod and we will do that, mate. Uh, and then from oh, Joseph, uh, Carl Baskin, Tiger King. Have you watched this? Oh, no, no, no. I've got, I've got, um, I've got Netflix problems. All right. It's worth, it's, it's worth a go if you do. Um, and the other question we got from Joseph Pepper was, how do you solve the Fermi paradox? And of course, as everybody knows, the Fermi paradox named after Enrico Fermi is the apparent contradiction between the lack of evidence for extraterrestrial civilizations and various high estimates for their probability. So that is the Fermi paradox. And I just like to suggest to Joe that there are a couple of ways of looking at that. We could look at it that we're the first ones and we'll be extinct before there are any others. We could say perhaps we're being observed without our knowledge. That's the zoo hypothesis or they're hibernating or waiting. 
perhaps we could look at that way. But there's lots of different ways we could approach that. And Joe, at some stage, we'll get into it in detail. But thanks for that question. I do appreciate it very much. Hopefully that uh, very paltry answer will be sufficive. Um, I do have a couple they're fucking right they are amongst us well you just have to look at certain world leaders so yeah, moving yeah. On. from what you said they're they're they've uh, they've penetrated the brainy household as well <laughs> from what you've been saying i want to i want to ask you I to stop looking in the mirror don't i <laughs> i've got i've got two things to finish with three sorry first one i'll go i'll go carl's uh solitary suggestion uh to begin with cam of course contributed nothing um so you're welcome you're uh, thanks man <laughs> <laughs> so proud <laughs> uh, brace just doing quizzes with the family for the last while uh so uh, carl's question I, I like it because it ties in with something I suggested last week was you're invited to a, ha- a house party. What is the politest time to leave? I like this because we've all been in this situation. And what I suggested last week was, had you seen the Larry David idea of the big goodbye, which is basically you see someone at a party, you go, fuck, I don't want to talk to them. So you basically duck them. Even though they've probably tried to make eye contact, you pretend you can't see them, you duck them. And then at the end, to justify that you ducked them, you go over and you go, as you're grabbing your coat, you go, oh my God, I can't believe I didn't see you until now. Oh, I've re- oh, I'm not on my way out. Oh God, jeez. Okay. Well, and so this is called the big goodbye. I, I like that. I did not know that this is a title because I've done it myself over the years. <laughs> it's Josie, I'm as devious as Larry David is basically what I'm telling you. I've done that thing. I've ducked people. And then at the end, just, you know, oh, God, I can't believe I didn't get a chance to talk to you. So uh, that's not directly related, but it's tangentially related. What is the correct, sorry, the politest time to leave a house party? Carl, there's a an implicit suggestion here in your question. I want to get this right before I, I pull it to Cam. Um is the implicit suggestion that you want to leave? Like you really can't be bothered with this and you want to go? I wrote something recently where I said, um, I can't remember who I wrote it for now, where it says, when it comes, oh, there's a book coming out and I put a chapter in it. Um, uh, the best part of parties is the journey home from them, not the journey to it. I've long believed that. I mean, every now and then you get to a certain state of everyone in the room sounds and, you know, you're nice and drunk and it's good before you start feeling a bit sick, but um, I do enjoy leaving parties more than going to them. Okay, so the, the idea is, you, the idea, the, the impetus is to go. That's what we're taking. So so now the, the, the main question is... Usually when, being told to go. That's that's the thing, isn't it? Oh, that's bad. So that is yeah. the least time to leave. When, when, so, you know, when, when your girlfriend or wife says, yeah, they're having a party on Saturday, it's going to be fun. You think, oh, God... Yeah, that's, so that's when the issue is when you when you find yourself at it though, Cam, and you do have a desire to maybe exit stage left. When is it polite to leave? I would like to say before you get there. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> but that's not. <laughs> oh, um, when Mrs. B starts giving me the evil eyes. <laughs> Isn't that most of the time, though? Yeah. Well, that's as soon as we got there, so it's perfect time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> that's, yeah. Just, that's just Tesco. Let's let's be honest. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, so our extended family. And by just weird coincidence, my uncle happened to be there and he shouldn't have been because it wasn't his family or his but there were neighbors and connections and work things and all the rest of it. And we had this big laugh, like you you know, I had to travel across the country to see us, stuff like that, right? And what my uncle did was so typical in our Irish society at um, funerals and wakes. He came in, he saw everyone he needed to see, all the main family members. He shook hands with everyone, he was offered tea, no thanks, uh, as, he said, as he said himself. <laughs> I'm too old for that shit. I'll be pissing all the way home. Uh, he was offered sandwiches. He said, nah, no thanks. No, I'm good, good. Uh, he had his missus with him, the two of them, and they, they walked around. They pressed the flesh. They said hello to everybody. I swear to God, they were in the room 15 minutes, and they were gone, right? And I just thought, wow, that's amazing. So, and, and you see it all the time at Irish uh, funerals and sometimes at weddings, my thing then, my answer, serious answer to Carl's thing is once you've said hello to the host and done a bit of mingling to pass yourself, I think then it's polite to leave. You can make some excuse. What do you reckon, Carl? You don't need to make an excuse. You, you've done you've done your bit. I mean, let's be honest, you should be able to leave when you want to leave. There shouldn't be a time limit. It's as simple as that. You, you've you've done the the good graciousness to show to show your face and turn up, and you've been polite and you've not. You definitely don't want to overstate your welcome, do you? That's when it gets it gets wrong when you overstay your welcome. So yeah, you just leave when you want to leave. Cam, I can tell you here and now, without fear of of being contradicted on this, that. I have never outstayed my welcome. I've understayed it more than once, but uh, to actually overstay it, no. If I see the second uh, an eye roll or a, or an eyebrow shot up in surprise when I say, I think I'll have another drink, I am out that door. Yeah, yeah, obviously. Straight away. I think, I think I, I, I'd be, uh, yeah, I'd be like, yeah, I'd be one of those people who's very sensitive to that type of thing, no matter what state I am of inebriation. If I get the feeling that. Uh, Perhaps people would like to, to to call it like I'm gone. I can't. I think I, when the host goes to bed, I think that. I can't even remember the last house party I went to. Yeah, but I'll tell you what, man. You're all invited to a house party around my calf. I'll even pay for your fucking flights because they're going to be for nothing. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> he wants. To, he, he needs some dead body, bodies in that uh, field. <laughs> yeah, that, that's that's why he's digging. Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. 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 I've got two questions to finish, and then we are out of here. Is it coming up close to the hour? Um, the first question is this: If you had to pick a band from, and we can all relate to this because we're all of a certain age. And apologies to younger listeners if such a thing exists. Uh, if you had to pick a band from the eighties when we were comparative uh, nippers, uh, who would be considered a guilty pleasure? Right. I I I I present for your for your um, appraisal. The likes of the Stock Aiken and Waterman uh, stable, the likes of Haircut 100, the likes of uh, Nick Hayward or the other Nick or uh, Kershaw. Kershaw, there he is, or Kajagoogoo and 
Lamal who became an offshoot from that or men without fucking shirts or men at work hats or what men without hats there you go hats. so pick your poison uh from the fluffy 80s side of things i don't want anything earnest or worthy i don't want to hear about how you love the first uh birthday party album before nick cave became nick cave i want something proper cheesy that you just loved so come in there branch i know you already gave us your suggestion are you going to stick with it and if you are you're changing from culture club i'm changing from culture club to adam and the ants aha and is that based on just good memories of one or two songs or what's the crack first record was uh prince charming uh, and um I, uh, obviously ant rap was uh was, was was a tune but it wasn't a tune <laughs> and um yeah it's just just some really bizarre memories of uh adam and the ants so um i love that i love that i think that's uh, that's that's a buyer uh, that, that that's that's exactly the type of thing i was looking for i think lots of people relate to that carl Kopak, what about yourself as a man who's like famously discerning the more than myself uh you would have had back in the day comparatively underdeveloped musical taste. So, what did you find yourself sort of veering towards? I see. I I don't really get on with the term um, guilty pleasure because I think it's just pleasure. Um, I don't mind. I don't. I mean, I'm, I'm obviously back back in the eighties. There's things I would never admit to in a million years that I really quite liked, but I never really did that, and I I never really liked an entire band. And sort of kept it quiet. I thought they're really good, but I like the odd record, which just thinks, you know, which is just really nice. And so I'm going to go for. And it's, I'm I'm not into this stuff at all, although I like the Human League. Um, Together and Electric Dreams by Phil Oakey and, and Georgie Morodo. Oh yeah, yeah. Just just an absolutely sensational song, and that's a pretty much away from every single thing to do with my tastes. I'm not really. I wasn't really into the synth thing at all. Still find that really difficult to listen to. Um. So, yeah, I'd go for things like that. There's the odd 80s song, which I really like. I, I love um, Nobody's Diary by Yazoo. It's just yeah. a beautiful yeah, song. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but, you know, Yazoo, it was okay to get into Yazoo because they, you know, it was sort of like, you know, they were quite indie and stuff, weren't they? Um, you see, you see, you see, I think, again, the couple of years that you two guys have on me meant, means it means the world of difference here because I didn't give a shit and I didn't know anything. I was literally a mushroom in the dark getting fed shit. I didn't know anything. So I literally only had the radio as a station called Atlantic 252 and I used to listen to everything and everything on it was pop music bar the occasional U2 tune or something like that, which was like, you know, oh God, what's this? You know, but so I... It was a diet of that stuff. And my one was a Nick Kershaw song, Old Man of Aaron. I don't know if you remember it. I really loved that. I really loved that song. It was just kind of comparatively hypnotic thing. Um, but basically, I will openly admit that any tune that came from those early to mid-80s, I can probably tell you word for word because I was a radio boy. Last question. Quickly, my two cool. favourite songs of the 80s, the actual favourite. first one was uh, Vienna by Ultravox. Oh, yeah, Jesus, right. Um, Kept off the number that, one spot by the 10 points. 
It was Ooh. kept off. The, it was number two in the charts, and it's kept off by number by number by simply one of the greatest songs ever written by a human being ever. I mean, nothing no touches it. It's uh, "Should Up Be a Face" by Joel Dolce. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely true. What's the matter, you? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, and the others. Vienna off the number one. That's mad. That is because Vienna was a great track, but that one was just stupid and it was funny and. It was a great song in a way, in its own right, I guess. But my other song was um, Sweet Dreams, Annie Lennox and the Rhythmics. Yeah, well, that's that's uh, an 80s banger of the highest order. I just I knew that one word for word for some reason, and I just used to sing it all the time. I thought you were going to say the chicken song by... Uh, yeah, the Star Trek by the Furs or something like that. Yeah, I, I actually... we My football team knew the chicken song by Spitting Image off by heart. I remember singing on the team bus as we used to go along. Last question is this, and it's controversial. Cardigans, are they okay? Now, I want... A firm take on this from both of you. I'll start the ball rolling by saying that I, we used to think no. Uh, and I would also add that cardigans are massively unforgiving garments. And if you're carrying a bit of timber, they don't look good unless they're baggy. Uh, so for ages, I would have avoided the cardigan. But then I embraced the cardigan and I kind of like the cardigan. Although I think they're gone a little bit out of style. So... Where do I even start with this? I think the most controversial take here will be the Kopak one. So we'll keep this, keep his till second. You've we'll got go to go to the fashion guru first, haven't you? We'll go, we'll go with Branchy. Branchy, the cardigan, do you embrace it? Totally. You do? Of course, yeah. I mean, it, it's all about how you present yourself and how you wear it. Would you wear the cardigan as a nice piece of knitwear with a suit? Yes. Of course he would, for God's sake. He's Cam Branch. Yes, yes. Um, I can see that on you, Branch. I can see that. Um, I don't like it with a suit. I've seen, I've seen a lot of people do do that. I've done it, Branch. I've done it. I've done it. And can I tell I, you? I, I, can I, I tell yeah, you? It, I'm going to trump you. I've got a cardigan. It's basically a sleeveless cardigan that you just wear under under a suit jacket as part of your suit. Yeah, that's like a waistcoat, like, isn't it? It's like a waistcoat cardigan. How the yeah. fuck like that? Yeah, this 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 is like this is like the fucking chinos thing from last week. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> that's the main reason I interjected with that card. It's just to wind you. Am I being filmed? <laughs> this is mainly to wind you up and get you get you really seething before your opportunity to shine in a second. So, Cam, you're saying it's a resounding yes to the card. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. I love it. I love it. I love it. And let's finish with Carl Kopic's cardigan opinion corner. The cardigan oh. should only be worn in 1988 when you like the Smiths and you wore a paisley shirt underneath. A pair of DMs, uh, the Argyle sock, which was discussed last week. Then it's okay to wear a mustard-coloured cardigan with footballs for buttons. <laughs> and, and you're right, and you've got to be emaciated to wear it. That's fine. If you're wearing it, if you're doing the Arthur Fowler shirt tie cardigan, your life has ended. <laughs> now. It's all over. <laughs> if, you whack a, if you whack a pair of downy chinos on that as well, then it's time we stop doing business. <laughs> What is going on with your life, Tony? 
<laughs> I'm all together, brother. Don't you worry about me. Let's finish it at that. Let's finish it on that controversial note. Trev, you really need to see people quick if you're starting to go down those little rabbit holes. You really do. No, 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 no. Believe me, it's it's not. It's, it, when I go Ar- full Arthur Fowler, I'll let you know, and I'll, it'll be a cry for help. Uh, let's finish up by getting your individual thoughts uh, or ideas or plugs or whatever the fuck you want to do. Carl, finish us off. So I've got a friend who I work with who um, it's a plug, but um, it's it's an idea I've had. She is uh, very very sort of proactive about things. She's one of these people who you know. Every now and then she'll just go and completely dig up her garden for no reason, despite having a kid and all that sort of stuff. And um, she said you've been teaching um, uh, mates how to make scones, uh, you know, through Zoom and things like that. You know, stuff that you don't really get time to learn how to do because uh, she's into cookery and stuff. Um, and I've been thinking, obviously, I have absolutely no practical skills whatsoever. I mean, literally zero. Um, me changing a light bulb is a good 40 minutes. Me changing a duvet cover, hour 20 tops. No at all. <laughs> but, um, and I may get lost for me doing that as well. Um, but um, what I've decided to do is give a virtual tour of Whitechapel through the Jack the Ripper murders and do it online um, through Zoom. Um, if you want to know more about that, when I do it, because I've written the presentation, I'm going to pilot it tomorrow to a friend of mine, um, see if it's too big or I need anything else in it. Um, and what I'll do is I'm going to put it on Twitter where the link is. Um, I'm at the Sensi, which is T-H-E-C-E-N-C-I. And if you're interested in the backgrounds of the Jack the Ripper murders and the streets of Whitechapel and how it all happened, then you're more than welcome to come and listen to me um, balls up a presentation I wrote myself. That's a cool idea, man. And the visual aspect of that will be what? like uh, It's a PowerPoint slides? presentation. Yeah, it's a PowerPoint presentation. Okay. And it, awesome. can, I'm on holiday this week, laughably. Um, yeah, I think I'll holiday in my kitchen. And um, so I spent all day yesterday and today writing up the presentation. And let's just say it's full. <laughs> Let me just say that. I, I, I go to town on these things. Fantastic. So that's it. You're more than welcome to come and have a look. That's a, that's, it sounds like a, a lovely distraction for folks. So, yeah, get on get on Carl's Twitter and uh, get the link. And, and when are you thinking of putting that up live? I don't know. It's done. I might do it sort of next – might do it Sunday night possibly. Okay. Keep an eye on Carl's Twitter for that, folks. And Cam, finish it out with your idea, please. Did you know the first French fries weren't actually cooked in France? They were cooked in Greece. This is what we have to deal with every single week, listeners. Every single week. Am, am I being filmed? Even even Drinkle is disgusted <laughs> with you. If I said it was gravy, he would have been all over it. Drinkers, Drinkers is doing two shows at the moment and he feels the need to comment in the chat box. <laughs> he had to come on and vent. <laughs> you know? Christ, the live branch. On that note, we will finish this episode of the Anfield Index so talk podcast. Talk another low. Jesus. With, 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 with <laughs> <laughs> ah, the Secret Service isn't allowed to yell, get down anymore, when the president <laughs> is about to be attacked. Now they have to yell, Donald Duck. <sighs> Please end the show. I'm trying, you fuckers. <laughs> I'm reading a book about anti-gravity. It's impossible oh. to get down. 
on that note, we'll finish up this episode of the Unfilled Index podcast with me apologizing to you, lovely listener, <laughs> for the support that, that you've given us and that we've rewarded in such a horrendous fashion. <laughs> and asking that you kindly spread the word about how other people can be disappointed by Cambridge in this way by listening to our little show. I'd like to remind you that Liberty Shield is where you can access free UK TV from anywhere, including BBC iPlayer for Match of the Day, plus Sky Go, BT Sports, and all the Reds Premier League and Champions League uh, live games if they ever play any again. I've been Trev Denny. That was Cam Branch and Carl Kopak and Guy Drinkle being upset in the background. Until we speak to you again, be kind to your fellow Reds and stay safe out there. Podcast Network.